preseason over and the real stuff starting in just about three days here in the NBA and getting you ready. The Jazz home opener within a week and the Jazz getting started on Wednesday. But I wanted to let in our next guest who has a connection to the end of the preseason and the start of the regular stuff. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga, radio voice of the LA Clippers, no eagle joins us right now. Thank you so much for taking the time, Noah. Pretty casual first year in the NBA, huh? <laughs> yeah, nothing important happened, JP. Seriously, it was uh, it was fueled by fire. I just kind of got thrown into the ring and they said, go. And it happened to be the most tumultuous year in uh, not just NBA history, but sports history, it felt like. It just felt like anything that could have gone wrong did. And I keep telling people that for the rest of my career, I feel like I can handle whatever at this point because the first year on the job, the first year out of school as a professional, I basically got tossed and thrown whatever possible distraction that could have been thrown, whatever possible really wrong, wrong doing, wrong moment, anything. Like everything that could have gone wrong did. And we still made it through. So I was really, really excited, really proud of the team that, that we made it through. And now we're on to bigger and better things and hopefully more normalcy on the horizon in year two. And with this coming up, I mean, everything's going to be smooth sailing for you going forward. <laughs> yeah. Has to be. Uh, you saw the Jazz last night. Um, what did you think of w- the way that they played? And, and where are the Clippers when it comes to their preseason because the Jazz had a phenomenal undefeated stretch you saw how many threes that they were launched up they're playing fast they're playing with pace uh, things are going well in jazz land how are they with the Clippers yeah I think uh, first talking about the Jazz I'm always impressed when Quinn Snyder is coaching because he's the only coach that not only wore skinny pants but but pulls them off on the sideline and that to me is very important as somebody who cares about clothes and and how I appear by the way we're wearing very similar things which we already have similar looks I think people have told us so we had some weird telepathy coming into to this podcast and that has only continued but I'm always impressed by Quinn Snyder not just because of the skinny pants but I find it to be one of the most underrated coaches in the NBA does not get the necessary respect for the job that he has done since taking over in Salt Lake City and the infrastructure he has created the consistency that the Jazz have exhibited. And that continued into this preseason. You mentioned it, 3-0. and They get right through Phoenix. They, they didn't even look phased in those two games. And then the game against the Clippers, it was back and forth for the first quarter and a half. And the Jazz took control towards the end of the second. And they did not relent that into the second half. I would say one thing to keep in mind, the Clippers were without two of probably their top five players in the game. No Marcus Morris and no uh, Serge Ibaka in this one, as well as no Patrick Patterson, who's a a favorite of mine, but that's for a completely different time and a completely different story. The the Jazz look good. I think that they look primed and ready to go for the regular season. And you mentioned it, fast pace. They get Royce, I can't even say his name, Royce O'Neal back in the starting lineup. And you put him alongside uh, familiar faces. Mike Conley now is comfortable playing the point with Utah. That was something we didn't really quite see last year, at least when the Clippers and the Jazz went head-to-head. It seemed like Conley was still trying to figure out how he fit in next to Donovan Mitchell, with Rudy Gobert, with Bogdanovich, who was a seamless transition in Utah. And honestly, Conley's first 
good game last year. The first time he really looked like Mike Conley was against the Clippers. It was maybe the fourth or fifth game of the year in Utah. And I thought, okay, this is the, this is the runway for him. He's going to get back to his normal ways. And it never quite materialized in terms of the consistency of greatness for Mike Conley. If they can get that from him this year, it just takes this, and you guys all know this, takes the Jazz to a different level. And I think that's what we saw last night. Conley was locked in. Donovan Mitchell didn't even have a great game. He still ends up well into double figures, as he always does. Rudy Gobert was great inside, although struggled a little bit with Fiondu Cabangeli, which we can get to throughout the conversation here. Cabangeli played pretty well for the Clips. So I thought Utah looked great. Bogdanovich getting back in there is awesome. Ingles coming back off the bench with that offensive punch. And Derek Favors being back in Salt Lake City is huge as well. I think that was an underrated signing from the offseason. So I loved what I saw out of the Jazz last night. You mentioned they jacked up 52 threes, made 24. So you can't really complain about very much from the performance that Utah had. For the Clippers, it's, it's different. It's completely different. It's a, a flip situation because Utah retained basically the entire roster. They bring back Clarkson. Their bench is mostly the same, and they actually bolster it with Derek Favors, and their coaching staff is pretty much the same from a year ago as well. The Clippers, completely different coaching staff. They have only two assistants that were back from a year ago. Teron Lou has taken over. Lou's Montrez Harrell, Lou's Jermichael Green, trade Landry Shamit, trade Rodney Magruder, and depending on who you ask, a lot of people believe upgraded with Serge Ibaka, especially at that five position. But with this shortened offseason and with limited time to really gel in training camp, it's been more of a learning curve for the Clippers in this preseason. And while they haven't shown it on the court, I can tell you that they're much further along behind the scenes than what we've seen so far. As mentioned, Marcus Morris didn't not only play last night, but he hadn't played the entire preseason. So he has yet to play in an organized game this season. We're not worried about him. We know exactly what Marcus will bring to the team. He came in midway through last year, and it took him only a few games to find his role and figure out how he fit in next to Kawhi Leonard, next to Paul George. Having a healthy Patrick Beverly makes a big difference. That's something that they did not have the entirety of the bubble. And Serge Ibaka is a completely different playing style at the center position than what the Clippers had a year ago because Avica Zubats is not someone who stretches the floor, who picks and pops. He's someone who picks and rolls hard to the basket, similar to Rudy Gobert. Same deal with what Montrezl Harrell brought last year for the Clippers at the five position. Now they have someone, and what Teron Lu wants to do is play five out, and Serge Ibaka can do that for them. And now Avica Zubats moving to the bench is more of a one-two punch with Lou Williams as that pick-and-roll mate that Montrez Harrell filled for the last couple of years. So while the Clippers didn't look great in the preseason, I could take you back to a year ago. They did not look good against the NBA teams. They got crushed by Houston. They got crushed by Denver, and they got crushed by Dallas in their three NBA preseason games. And then they go out and they beat the Lakers on opening night. So I think we'll have more to look at and more to judge coming Tuesday against the Lakers. Well, and, and the Jazz played a a stronger rotation than the Clippers yeah. through three quarters. And then the fourth quarter, obviously, the younger players uh, played, and, and you were able to see the the development points for guys uh, such as Elijah Hughes, who we have a connection with, both being Syracuse men, and seeing what those young guys could do in the preseason. Trez, Trez being gone. Mm. Six man of the year candidate perennially. How does that affect 
what this team can do in those high-powered matchups when it comes to playing uh, the Lakers or, or the Mavs or even the Jazz in these types of scenarios? Yeah, look, the Western Conference as a whole is, is completely loaded. We hear that word. And by the way, I like being called a Syracuse man. Usually I get, oh, Syracuse young boy. But I'm not I'm a boy anymore. Yeah, I'm graduating to man. I like it. This is, this is big news for me. I'm going to call my mom after to let her know. But Montrezl Harrell brought a ton, mostly with his energy for the Clippers off the bench and his passion for the game. And that's something that will be missed. But what I think that they did in recouping the talent by signing Serge Ibaka is bringing somebody in who not only is really familiar with Kawhi Leonard and not just familiar, but those two are very close. I don't think people realized how close they truly were until Serge decided to come to LA and join the Clippers because most people believed it was either going to be the Toronto Raptors, he'll return there on a big deal, or he would go to the Brooklyn Nets and reunite with Kevin Durant and company and try to win a title in Brooklyn. But most people did not have the Clippers as a destination for Serge, probably because many thought that Montrezl Harrell would resign and they'd just run it back with the same team. But I think what Serge does is he fits into the Teron Lou offense so much better than Trez would. Trez is not somebody who, who has a reliable jump shot from the perimeter yet. He has worked on it and will continue to do so through his career. Knowing him, he's very hardworking and he's somebody who plays 12 months a year. So that's something that could come around in the coming years, but it's not there quite yet. And this is a team that is very much in the win-now mode. And Serge Ibaka, to me, gives them the best opportunity to win right now. Because of his chemistry with Kawhi, he can insert him in the starting lineup. You can move him to the bench unit. And he's going to fit in seamlessly. And I think the best thing about Serge, and the thing we heard the most about the Clippers last year, he is a chemistry builder. He's somebody that people like to play with. He is a positive person. He's a renaissance man. He is just a different type of player than most are accustomed to. He's always smiling. He wants to have fun. And he makes sure that everyone around him is doing the same. And so I think we've seen Kawhi Leonard smile more in the last week than we have his whole career. Every day there's been a new photo or video of him smiling. He went on Jimmy Kimmel. This is a completely different side of Kawhi Leonard than we've seen in the past and certainly last year when it was all business. And so I think that alone will already boost the morale of the team. And that's going to help them just in terms of their chemistry building throughout the season. So I think Serge was a great pickup. Nick Batum coming off of uh, being waived by Charlotte and they could pick him up on a veterans minimum contract. He has something to prove. And the coaching staff, while he didn't look necessarily great last night, he played pretty well against the Lakers and the coaching staff has raved about how in shape he has come into camp. He was a bit out of shape last year for Charlotte, and he has certainly come in with some motivation of, okay, I want to prove to people that I'm only 32. I still have a lot left in the tank and can help a winning team. And Luke Kennard is the, is the wild card, in my opinion, because they lose Landry Shamit in the trade. And Landry had an off-season last year. Not an off-season, but an off-space season in the sense that he didn't shoot it as well as we knew we were, that he was capable of. And I think that Luke can do that and a little bit more. Handle the ball, pick and roll ball handler. He can facilitate. Crazy thing, I didn't even know this about Luke until he got here. He's naturally right-handed, but he learned to play basketball as a lefty. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. A little kid deciding to just – who made him make that decision is more of my question. Like, I know Rafa Nadal, one of the best tennis players of all time, right-handed person but his uncle and his dad told him you should learn left-handed because it's much more difficult for people to play against a left-handed player 
Like, did somebody tell, I need to ask Luke, did somebody tell him when he was younger, hey, you need to learn how to play lefty because it's even harder. And I'm already excited because I have a feeling I'm not quite there yet, but if Luke does start playing well, I think I'm going to have to start calling him the Nard Dog. But we're going to see. Canard. Canard. Canard Dog. We're going to see. We're going to see if it develops during the season. But I've got a good feeling that Luke Canard could become the Nard Dog. So I'm excited. I think that the roster is really, really great. It's perfectly constructed for Teron Lou, And they're going to have fun on both ends. Well, good luck getting in the Nard Dog. I'm impressed that you already have a nickname <laughs> for a guy who you probably have only met via Zoom, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Hey, good for you. Uh, you mentioned Kawhi. Smiling a little bit more. I watched that Jimmy Kimmel spot. Are you in the club secret Santa? Are you trading gifts with these guys? What's going on? No, I was, I was left out, which was a bummer because I, if it was only $100, Matt, I, I could have done that. I could have reaped $100. I think that I have just enough in my bank account to get there. Kawhi's right. A lot of the rookies don't have that kind of money for a million-dollar gift which would be pretty crazy if I got home one day and I came back to like four PS5s or something, or actually I should say Xboxes because Steve Ballmer owns our team. But either way, that would be pretty cool if I was involved, but I'm not. So I'm going to have to talk to somebody, see if we can get that rectified for next year. Why is he smiling more? What is he like to be around think NBA fans look at Kawhi so much mystery what is he like covering him broadcasters perspective from you yeah he truly is a fun guy I think that you don't quite get to see it unless you peel back the curtain and he's comfortable with you and that was the key last year it took him a little while to get comfortable around everybody because he was new and I think he's wary of how people see him he's wary of how his public figure has been created and so he wants to maintain that in a certain sense but when you get him in a normal setting he's laughing he's joking around and that's why Serge to me has been so important he's brought more of that out already from Kawhi who has come into training camp focused even if you just listen to his media zoom sessions the first one he did this season first time we heard him speak this training camp he had much more emotion. It was less of the Bueller and much more of the normal social human interaction. And so I, I thought to myself, I wonder if somebody in his camp or someone close to him told him, hey, maybe show that you are you a little bit more this year because of the criticisms and because of the way last season ended and the lack of quote unquote leadership that he exhibited, which I think is false. It's just his own type of leadership. But I think that somebody must have said, hey, you got to show people that you are a cool dude. You're good to be around. You're easygoing and just show them who you are. And that's what he's done so far. And to me, I, I honestly do think that will go a long way in this team because if people see him putting himself out there, if they see that he's willing to go out and do all these things and go the extra mile in little aspects, just like the media session, I think that trickles down to the rest of the roster because it's no longer, well, Kawhi is just doing Kawhi. It's okay. Kawhi is one of us again. And that's important, I think, for this season in building the camaraderie through the entirety of the 72 games and beyond. I know it's a small thing, but doing Kimmel is, is a legit thing to get people on your side. When Donovan yes. did those uh, Spider-Man commercials with uh, 
who was the Spider-Man? Who is that? Why am I blanking Tom on Tom Holland? Guy? Tom Holland. Yes. Sorry. I'm a, I'm a Tobey Maguire guy. I don't know I, if I you know what? I'm with you. You see, I, I do think Andrew Garfield gets a little too much hate. He does. And he gets uh, stepped over. I mean, nobody he thinks does, about Andrew Completely. Garfield. Nobody remembers. Although, aren't they doing now a clash of all of them, which I don't know how I feel about. I, I'm out on that because the only true Spider-Man for me is, is Tobey Maguire. You have that iconic upside-down kiss where you lift, sure. lift the mask and you have Kirsten Dunst going, going necking with him. <laughs> There's <laughs> Wait, wait. But here's my question. So if we're being realistic about Spider-Man in general, and this is what happens with me and JP for all those who are listening. For being realistic about Spider-Man in general, the best Spider-Man movie, and in my opinion, is not even close, is Into the Spider-Verse. I didn't catch that one. That's that's oh! the anim- that's the animated one, right? Yes, and I, yeah. I highly recommend it. I've seen it twice, and both times did not disappoint. Now, if we're going best Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, it's Spider-Man Two, right? With William Defoe, right? No, that's the first one. Who's two? Spider-Man Two is with Doctor oh, Oz. Doc Ock. Yeah, it's uh, a yeah. what's that act- British actor's name, right? Yeah, I don't. I forget. I don't know his name. name but yes, uh, that's a good one too. Uh, I. Really, there was no, there was nothing better than that first one with Willem Dafoe. I mean, he's a perfect villain, uh, a perfect lead-up story. You know how in uh, Batman, you always have to get uh, Bruce Wayne and his family. You have to go through that scene. Sure. It was the perfect, just Aunt May. It laid the f- groundwork for the entire Spider universe. We've gotten a little bit off track. It is, it is important for your your star player to enjoy the spotlight and let it bask over you when the jazz had donovan doing that and he's releasing shoes and he's being the pitch man you could see positive vibes i mean vibe checking just a team and taking the temperature of these squads early going it matters and and going on camel for Kawhi, i'm sure is benefiting just what they're doing right now yeah without a doubt and i think donovan is a great example of it because he is somebody who puts himself out there consistently as not just the face of the franchise, but a young face of the franchise. And he does it in such a way where it's not in your face, but he has that great smile. He's got the great personality. Players, not just on the Jazz, but around the league, really like Donovan. And that, to me, holds a lot of weight. When, when you can point around the league and say, this guy is well-liked. And that's why I think Serge is so important for the Clippers, because Ibaka, you can ask anybody around the league, they say, I love that guy because he's easy to get along with. Donovan's the same way. When you have somebody who's one of the best players on your team and he's just well-liked around the league, that helps you because it's more, uh, more of a comfort level. And I think that's something the Clippers were missing a little bit last year, and that's going to be a difference this season because Serge is super well-liked. Kawhi is, is somewhat retooling his image to a, a good level. And I think that if PG does what he's supposed to do this year, he'll do the same. So We're looking forward to the season. We think that the sky is truly the limit, which is a cliche, but it certainly fits the profile of this team. And with Steve Ballmer at the helm, anything is possible. So we're excited. I keep, I'm going to keep texting you during the season, seeing the finals, seeing the Western Conference finals. I know that was (laughs) what I I kept on texting you last year. I expected it to be in the second round once we got to the bubble and and saw what was unfolding with the 3-1 lead. Didn't end up that way, but... I will definitely be in your mentions talking about this matchup once, once it gets to business time and yes. it's playoffs and the Jazz and Clippers could meet there. 
let's get to the real stuff. Your dad went on the Levitard show this week, <laughs> mentioned that he uh, he doesn't do condiments, which yeah. if you're if you know your dad, you already knew that fact. What is it like growing up in that household? Does he force this on you? Are you also somebody who's averse to condiments as well? He he didn't force anything on me. Now, if we're talking about forcing force feeding or lack thereof, for his 40th birthday, my sister, who is two years younger than me, she loves fruit and she loves strawberries in particular. But my dad is not somebody who has eaten a whole lot. He had a, an interesting childhood. And if you haven't listened to the spot with Levitard and company, he goes into it a little bit and some somewhat graphic details as well, which came out about my grandparents and my family. So that's one thing. But he, he grew up in a sense sheltered from the variety of foods that we enjoy as a current society. And most of those were fruits as well, strawberries. He had never had a strawberry until he was 40 <laughs> years old. Oh my goodness. And, and my sister had made a deal with him when she was maybe six or seven and he was in his thirties. And the deal was my sister said, hey dad. He's like, yeah, what's up? She said, will you make a deal with me for when you're 40, on your birthday, you will try a strawberry. And he said, of course. He thought like, no way this girl's gonna remember. And he, I am not even kidding. This is entirely accurate. He walked down the stairs at like eight in the morning on his birthday, his 40th birthday. This was now 2009. So this is 11 years ago. He walks, as he takes the final step, she is there with a plate. She goes, here you go. And he's like, what's this? He goes, she said, you made a deal. And he had to try the strawberry as the first thing that happened on his 40th birthday. And he will not admit it, but he enjoyed it. He very much enjoyed the strawberry. Doesn't eat them all that often, but he definitely enjoyed it. So he denies himself. It, he denies himself. Denies well, himself. well here's, here's the thing, because I have followed in his footsteps in certain areas of this conversation. He's never had coffee. I've never had coffee. Mm -hmm. He's never had some of these other things I think are already out there. He doesn't eat salad. I don't eat salad. There are, there are certain things like that. And then he mentioned the condiments. I've had them. I've tried them, but I don't really eat them. And I think that I've fallen into the same trap almost pattern where he's gone so long, certainly with the coffee thing, he's gone 51 years where he's never had it. So he says, why would, I, why would I have it now? It's a sense of pride at this point. So he can be able to say to people, oh yeah, I've never had coffee. And they can go, what? Like that's the reaction every time is, what? And for me, I'm 24. And when I say, oh, I've never had coffee, they go, what? Like, it's not that big a deal. I just, I like tea. Tea is good. So I think now it's a, it's a pride thing for me. I'm going to hold out as long as I possibly can so that I can keep getting the reaction of, are you serious? What's wrong with you? Because I kind of enjoy that. I kind of enjoy seeing the perplexed look on people's faces for something that really isn't that big a deal. No coffee. Okay. What are the other ones that people would be surprised that you don't do? I've never had a salad. That's one that, that gets people, especially now that I live in LA. I think people no thought kale? that- I mean, I'll have kale, but not, it's not in a salad. I'll put it in a smoothie maybe. I'll, I get my greens in a smoothie. I'm, a, I'm more of a, so if you want to say, I drink my salad, go for it. I'm not going to argue with you, but I try to avoid anything that has the word salad. I just avoid. How do you stay healthy without a salad? 
No, like I said, you still get the greens, put them in the smoothie. I get sides of vegetables, broccoli, cauliflower, zucchini, you name it. I, I like all vegetables. I just don't do it all in one. Four course meal. Second course is a salad. What do you, do you uh, just, do you just stare at the waiter? Is that the entire interaction? See, my dad has better stories with, with this, where he's gotten into sticky situations. For me, I'm a big soup guy. If there's a soup, I would just say, uh, give me whatever soup you have. Like I'm a big soup fan. So that's, that's how I usually sidestep it. Otherwise I'll say, here, mom, take my salad or here, whoever I'm with, take my salad here, future significant other, take my salad, et cetera. You know what I mean? That's, that's normally what I would do in that setting. Or I'll just, if there's bread, I'll take the bread. So now everybody, they don't feel like I'm left out. I don't want anyone to feel like I'm left out because I'm not left out. I'm choosing to be left out. So yes, it's a, it's a different circumstance. It's a different lifestyle, but I'm built for this. What can I say? You were, you come from a, a wonderful broadcasting family, obviously your father, what was the experience? What are you, your early basketball memory that led you to where you would think, okay, I'm going to make this my career. I'm going to do this for a little. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this recently, and this is a story I, don't, I haven't really told a whole lot, but I'll, I'll start from the beginning. This is one that is out there, which was when I was young, young, and people would ask me, what do you want to do? I would say, no hesitation, nothing. Like people... Most kids my age at seven were saying astronaut, something cool. I'd look someone's veterinary in the face. Yeah, something, something like saving lives where you're doing something that really matters. And I would look someone square in their eyes and I would say, I want to be a TV dentist. <laughs> TV dentist, which is, which is not a real thing, which I, no. I came to learn is not a real thing. But I think in my head, I was hoping to combine Dr. Phil with like a dentistry and it was going to be, well, listen to me, okay? We're going to have to take out, take out that molar, okay? Hey, that molar's causing problems, okay? But it never matriculated. I, I realize people don't like teeth, and I'm never going to have a mustache like Dr. Phil. So it never happened. And so I moved on. And I usually would tell people, like, 12 or 13 is when I decided. But that's not the answer. The answer is actually about 15 or 16. When I was in high school... I used to go to basketball camps and it was the Bob Hurley basketball camp, who's legendary high school coach in New Jersey at St. Anthony sons are Bobby and Dan Hurley, Bobby, of course, uh, a legend at Duke where he was a star point guard. Dan played at Seton hall. He's now coach at UConn. So the Hurley family is unbelievable. They're top knots. They're legendary. They're all of the above. And Bob Hurley would run a camp in the Poconos where it was a week long. You stay over. And the, the level was high. He would bring his St. Anthony players, but anybody could come and show up and, and play and everything. But you had to, to play with some high-level talent, including guys who I went, to, went on to play Division I or eventually get to play pro, et cetera. And I would follow them along their journey because I played against them at this camp. But the best part of the camp for me was that Bob Hurley would give away swag. He would give away socks. He would give away shirts. He would give away all of this stuff throughout the week. And you would think, oh, it's guy who made biggest improvement or guy with most free throws made or guy with uh, best ball handling skills. But it was none of that. It was actually trivia. And it wasn't just any trivia. It was Seinfeld trivia. 
And keep in mind, kids here are like from 13 to 17 years old. And the demographic wasn't necessarily set up for people to nail Seinfeld trivia. And so I'm sitting there with the entire thousand kids at the camp. And every day he would ask two different questions from Seinfeld and nobody would raise their hand. And finally I would sheepishly put mine up and he would say he knew me because he had known my dad and he's from Jersey and he's seen us around. And I got to know him over the years and Bob's one of my favorite people ever. But if you know him, he's got a thick Jersey accent, deep voice. And so I'd raise my hand. He'd say, Mr. Eagle. And I would say real and spectacular. And he'd say, that is correct. And I'd get a pair of socks. And then the next day, Mr. Eagle, I'd say, no soup for you. Say, yep, that is correct. And I get a shirt and I come home with like a, an armful of swag because of my Seinfeld knowledge. And I think it was that moment where I said, okay, I was aggressively average at the actual playing thing, but I was above average. I was elite at the Seinfeld trivia. Let me find something that'll allow me to, to flex that knowledge. And so I chose broadcasting. Well, and now you're going to be sponge worthy with the gig on Nickelodeon. <laughs> hey, right? well done. You're welcome. Well done. Yeah. That was you good. Can, you can use that. That's free for you. Cheap Huge. for everybody else. <laughs> uh, makes sense. It does. Because, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. Pretty vertically challenged, both of us. Yes. Uh, the basketball dream, I'm sure went in the tubes once you went around real basketball players and you see, okay, there's a different level. I mean, you can see it just watching the screen, but I think you get a little bit uh, jaded just seeing how high the level everybody is at. And it kind of looks ordinary when LeBron does a tomahawk dunk or when uh, Donovan jumps through the air, grabs a rebound, goes the full length of the floor and jams it. It changes once you see it up close. Going to Syracuse, picking your, your father's alma mater, what, uh, what led you to that decision? Well, it was, it was not an easy decision, honestly. I, when I started looking at colleges, Syracuse was, I think that most of the time, me growing up, most people around me just thought it was a foregone conclusion that I would end up at Syracuse, especially once I lasered in on, or I should use a word that Woj tweets during the draft. Once I bamboozled myself into thinking of colleges, um, I think most people, or certainly once I decided that I was going to be a broadcaster, I think most people thought it would be a foregone conclusion that I would end up in central New York and at Syracuse University. But I think in the back of my mind, it wasn't just my dad that went there. My parents met, actually met there their freshman year. They both were, were orange alum. And so I think part of it for me was I want to create my own thing, create my own legacy. And if I went to Syracuse, then that name and everything's going to follow me no matter what. And so the first place I visited was Syracuse. I did a tour, got shown around, and we were leaving and driving away. And this was spring break of my junior year of high school. My mom and I were driving back and five minutes in, she said, so what'd you think? And I looked at her and I said, I'm sorry, I just, I don't think I can go here. She said, really? I said, yeah. She said, okay, well, we'll visit other schools and find one that makes sense. I said, okay, cool. And that was the cool thing. They never pressured me. My parents never said like, you really need to go here. They trusted the process. They trusted I would make the decision that was best for me. And so we visited Maryland. We visited Miami. We visited stuff actually out here in Los Angeles, USC, UCLA, and went back to Syracuse a second time, 
which was the first day of classes in what was my senior year of high school. So I'm trying to think of, for you, it would have been your junior year at Syracuse. It was the first day of classes that year, and it was a, it was a beautiful day. I just remember it was, there was not a cloud in the sky. I got bamboozled was... too. I had the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I went on the one good day in the spring. It was a right. complete, complete farce what they did. Everybody, literally, every student was out on the quad. Every student was outside of Newhouse. I saw them interacting and using the equipment, and I was like, okay, yeah, I see this. And my, what, my, what happened was my mom, since she went there, she said, forget the tour. I'll give you my tour. And she showed me all the real spots that I would actually be going to and doing things and et cetera. And she showed me the spots off campus where I'd go to the mall or I'd go to this restaurant or that restaurant. And I left after that time. And after having that knowledge of seeing the other schools, and also I think going back to that initial thought of the name's going to follow me and realizing that's going to happen anywhere I go. And so once all of that came together, same deal, five minutes into the drive back, she said, all right, what are your thoughts? I said, I got to apply early decision here. And she said, okay. And I did. And I ended up there and it was the right decision for me. First job out, obviously the Clippers high profile job. And mm. I mean, we talked about the very beginning, insane year to get involved in an NBA team. What were the challenges that you didn't know that you would get into when it came to first being the regular voice and having a regular season, having these crowds, and then second, once we got to the bubble and you're calling a game in an empty arena? Yeah, one thing that the Clippers, and I was really thankful that they did this, one thing that they asked of me and allowed me was they said, well, we know that you want to do TV ultimately. And so we're hiring you as the radio person, but we want to give you opportunities on TV. And we're not, if you have other opportunities to do TV, we're okay with it. And as long as it doesn't conflict with us, do it. And so I was like, great. And one of those was actually hosting their pre and post game on TV a lot of times on the road. Certainly as the season got going, I ended up doing a handful of games where I was hosting the pre half and post. And if you see, if you know, how it's constructed in terms of radio locations and NBA arenas, most of the time it's not very close to the court. And all of those pre-post game shows are on the court. And so for me, <laughs> I had to run a lot of times from because the pregame show, our pregame show on the radio starts an hour before tip. So I would do the first segment or two on radio with our host. Then our TV pregame show starts a half hour before tip. So I would run down, depending on where we were. Some of the locations are easier than others, but there are some like Dallas where you're up in the second deck. And so I had to find the fastest route possible to the court. I asked at least five people. I said, fastest route, go. And they said, what? I said, to the court, fastest route, now. And they're like, what? Oh, yeah. Uh, and they found the stairs for me, basically. And so I was pushing 10-year-olds out of the way. Like I may have injured a 10 year old in Sacramento. I'm still a little worried about that because I completely crushed him. I just ran him over and you had to do what you had to do because I couldn't miss my post. That would have been far worse if Chauncey Billups or Mike Fratello is sitting there with no host to be next to them. And now they're all out of sorts. They would just stare at the me. camera. That yeah, would, no, they would, they would have no idea what to do. They would just be Course. staring. Right. They'd be looking around. They'd be, it'd be like Dora the Explorer. They can't mm -hmm. just summon the map out of nowhere. They need, they need me to get there myself. So that was one of the challenges. And 
I think that the other reminder for myself was, and I learned this right off the bat, game one, based on texts, based on tweets, et cetera. Given the current landscape of how we consume media in general, you never, you truly never know who's listening or who's watching. And this was never more evident than the day Kobe passed away, which was January. We were in Orlando and a similar deal in Orlando, the radio broadcast location is way up, maybe the highest or one of the highest in the league, it's all the way up near the luxury suites and it's removed. And so, and I was doing the pregame and postgame for that day and it all got thrown out because of what happened. The whole show was focused on what happened that day. And the hardest part for me was keeping it together on the air because everyone around me was in shambles. And our sideline reporter that day, she was so crushed that we didn't even use her on the broadcast because she was crying the whole game. And rightfully so. She, she had known him. She had a relationship with him. Most of the their players on our teams, on our team especially, that had close relationships with him, like Kawhi, like Paul, and coaching staff, Teron played with him. Guys knew him. Other guys in our front office knew him well. So that day was crazy in general. Doc was a mess. And I did the pre and post that day. And again, my, my mentality was just get through it. Just be a professional. And it was me, Mike Fratello, and our TV broadcaster, Brian Seaman. And the three of us are just locked in trying to get through it. And I, I bring this all up because it, Sarah Takata, our producer, did a great job of putting it together last minute. We get through it. And after the fact, keep in mind, I'm just trying to keep the, again, I'm just trying to be as professional as possible and find a way through it, find the right words. After the fact, the next day I find out that our show, because it was one of the first games to tip off, was being played in Adam Silver's office. And he watched the show. And I said, thank God I did not know that because I would have projectile vomited onto the camera if that was the case. So it was just another friendly reminder. And I had a bunch of those moments where it was, you never know who's watching, who's listening. So always be on your A game. Always be ready to, to say whatever comes to your mind and be yourself, but be a professional at all times. And that was absolutely true come the bubble when we were doing these games remotely. The biggest reminder I gave myself was, if somebody doesn't know that you are not there, good. That's the goal. I never said I wasn't there unless it had to be said. I never brought up the fact that these games were remote unless it had to be brought up. I just wanted to go do the game and hope that people thought. And the amount of texts I got that said, you're in the bubble, that was all I needed. That was enough validation for me of the job that I did in the bubble from Los Angeles in a studio to know, okay, I can do this if necessary. Year two, you ready? Yeah. Excited, as I said. Very excited. Well, I, I say this with a, a full-hearted endorsement. If you have NBA audio league pass, tune in. One of the best broadcasters <laughs> in the country, Noah Eagle. Noah, thanks again for joining Roundball Roundup. I appreciate it, JP. And uh, please tell Francesco I say hello. My favorite waiter in the Salt Lake City area. Please send my best to him. I will. Thank you.